And for the rest of us, I invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 10 to 24. And I have a question for us as we begin this morning. How did you get here this morning? I'm not asking about the form of transportation you took, what kind of vehicle or which roads you drove on. I'm asking a bigger, more fundamental question. How did you get here this morning? I'm also not asking um, what your motivation was, what caused you to be motivated to come this morning. I'm asking a still bigger, higher level, more fundamental question. How did you get here this morning? I'll tell you how I'd answer. All the answers I heard out there were good. Uh, some of them I didn't quite hear what was said, but some of them I did. Um, but here's how I'd answer. We are here because God is at work in the world. And God, in some way, has been seeking each of us. God is at work and has been at work in your life and in my life. The details are different for each one of us. Some of us, in fact, are much more aware than others of us that God has been drawing us to him. But for all of us, realize it or not, we're here because God is at work in the world. God, who created us, is trying to find us, trying to get our attention, trying to let us know that God is there and God is drawing us to himself. Do you realize God is doing that? Have you noticed? <laughs> well, this is what the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter uh, of 1 Corinthians that we're finishing up this morning, this is what Paul calls in verse 10, the work of the Lord. Paul says there that Timothy, his young assistant, is carrying out the work of the Lord. And this is the work I'm talking about. God is at work seeking to draw, to win, to woo, to guide, to call his lost children back to himself. And how does God do this? God uses those he's already won back to himself to be his messengers, his workers, his witnesses, and his helpers to draw others back as well. And what's the invitation we give as his messengers? We tell people, God loves you. God wants you closer to him than you are. And God has sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to make this possible. In fact, Jesus wanted this so much that he died to make it possible. Jesus died to take away all the barriers that stand between us and God, our guilt, our shame, our rebellious attitudes, our distractions, our complacency, our regrets, and our failures. Jesus took it all on himself in his death and swept it away from us so that the way can be open for God to pursue us and for us to respond and to come back to God. It's the work of God. And it's what the Apostle Paul's life was devoted to. And it's what Paul is doing and explaining 
in the letter that we've been looking at, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And Paul, as he now wraps up this letter, we see something very important about the work of God. We see that it involves people, and it's about relationships, and it's about, um, or it's all about how we get along with one another. Because God isn't calling us to himself just individually or solitarily. No, God is calling us together to be his family together, to be a new people for him and with him together. When I married Anne, I didn't just become joined to Anne. No, I inherited her whole family. And Anne's message to me was clear. Love me, love my family. <laughs> right? Spouses? Well, it's the same with God. Love God, love his family. When God draws us to himself and we come to him, we inherit a new family. And that means there's people and there's relationships involved. Some of them are sitting in this room. And a number of them were sitting in someone's house in Corinth when they gathered to listen to Paul's letter that we're reading. And so Paul's message to the Corinthians as he ends his letter is this. Cultivate your relationships. Cultivate relationships. Think of it this way. I know there's snow this morning and it's cold, but February is almost over and spring is on its way, right? <laughs> Anyone looking forward to having a garden this spring? Or maybe you're at least going to plant some herbs or some tomatoes in a pot or two? Well, guess what? As you know, that garden isn't going to grow itself, right? If you want a garden, you're going to have to cultivate it. You're going to have to prepare the soil and plant the seeds. And then you're going to have to thin the seedlings and pull the weeds and water the plants. Well, relationships are that way as well. They don't grow themselves. They take work. They take attention. They take cultivation. Weeds grow up among us. Misunderstandings, tensions. We can drift apart. We disagree about stuff. Good relationships take attention, they take work, they take effort. Incidentally, that's something I've been focusing on for this past year or so at CBC, because when we all went through COVID, we got squeezed, right? <laughs> and what happens when we get squeezed? Well, stuff comes out of us, and some of it isn't pretty. Right? 2020, 2021, they were hard. They were stressful years for some of us. In fact, for some of us, it doesn't all feel over. And so I've been focusing, among other things, this past year on cultivating, on putting in effort to mend and to strengthen relationships. And that's what Paul is doing at the end of his letter. He's paying attention to, he's tending, he's cultivating relationships. The relationship between him and the Corinthians, the relationships between the Corinthians and Timothy and Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla and a bunch of other people too. Now, here's the thing about cultivating relationships. It's an art. It's a skill. 
and you can learn how to do it. You know, people used to write books on the art of friendship. In fact, there's still books being written on that, um, on how to have a friend and on how to be a friend. But, but here's what I see in today's culture. The skill and the art of friendship is being lost by many people. I don't see a lot of support and encouragement. There's some, but I don't see a lot out there in the culture for how to be a good friend. Um, I see a lot of me, me, me. And, and yes, have, have the friends you want at school or on social media, but, but then if they do something you don't like or, or become an inconvenience, you can ghost them and move on. Well, given that, these, these last verses of, of Paul's letter are a gift to us because in them we see Paul practicing the art of friendship. We see Paul cultivating relationships because Paul knows this is a key part of the work of God. This is an important part of, of uh, God's people if we're going to be God's people. God's people have to work at getting along. And, and maybe if we do a decent job at this, we can show the world around us what it looks like to love, what it looks like to, to be friends, what it looks like to be the sort of human beings in community that God longs for us to be. Okay, so let's look at how Paul does this. I see six lessons in, in today's passage from Paul about how to cultivate relationships. And, and let me just say, if Paul can do this, we can too. Because can you think of anyone, if you know a bit about the Apostle Paul, can you think of anyone more driven, more task-oriented, more determined, more like a bull in the china shop than Paul? <laughs> Yet Paul really, really valued relationships. He worked really, really hard at keeping them healthy. And Paul didn't go it alone. He didn't uh, go it alone as he did his work, uh, of, did the work of God. As talented as Paul was, as capable and gifted as he was, he valued working as a team. And so this ending here of this letter is just full of, of references to team members that Paul is cooperating with as he and they do the work of God together. Paul valued relationships. Paul worked hard at relationships. Paul cultivated relationships. So let's see how we did this, how he did this. First lesson we see in the, uh, that Paul gives to the Corinthians and to us about relationships is this. Give people better than they deserve. Treat people better than they deserve or better than you think they deserve. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians about Timothy, verse 10. When Timothy comes, and Timothy's Paul's young companion, he's about to visit them, representing Paul doing God's work. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. Paul urges the Corinthians to treat Timothy well. Now, why does Paul even have to say this? <laughs> right? 
Because the Corinthians have been treating Paul horribly. They're angry at Paul. They're all offended and defensive and condescending. And now Timothy is coming on behalf of Paul as Paul's young representative. And Paul, to be honest, is worried about how they're going to treat Timothy. And so Paul says, give him nothing to fear. Don't treat him with contempt. Treat him well so that when he leaves, there's going to be peace between him and you. In other words, treat Timothy better than you Corinthians think he deserves. <laughs> and that's a great lesson for us if we're going to cultivate relationships. Not to give people exactly what you think they have coming to them. Ever want to do that? <laughs> Not to treat people how you think they deserve, but to treat them better than they deserve. Uh, we have a small house um, near where I grew up in Pennsylvania that we rent out. And um, one time we had a tenant who got behind on her rent. I, I think her, her check bounced, in fact. Um, and so we got charged a, a bank fee. And it was because, come to find out, she was going through a bad marital breakup. And um, so, so this tenant owed us money. And according to the lease, she also owed us the insufficient funds fee from the bounce check, and she owed us a late payment fee. And we were getting nervous because we weren't sure she was going to cover next month's rent either. And this can really strain a relationship between a landlord and a tenant. Um, so do you know what we did? We sent her a surprise care package and a nice note to express how sorry we were for what we knew was a very painful situation in her life. Let me ask you, do you think that th that strengthened the relationship between her and us? <laughs> of course it did. And as a fringe benefit and unanticipated consequence for us, it made her all the more motivated to get us the rent. <laughs> An important skill in cultivating relationships is treating people better than what they deserve. Let me ask you, who in your life could you treat better than you think they deserve? Second lesson from the Apostle Paul about cultivating relationships. We have to check our ego at the door. Verse 12. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Now to understand just how humble Paul is being here in saying this, we have to know the backstory about this guy, Apollos. Apollos had been to Corinth previously um, after Paul to do some ministry there among the Corinthians. And Apollos was a very smart guy and an amazing preacher, far more eloquent than Paul. And the Corinthians loved Apollos. In fact, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, some of the Corinthians have turned against Paul and said, I follow Apollos. I'm with Apollos, not Paul. Apollos is better. We like Apollos better. And the Corinthians are actually dividing up about this in chapter 1. It's become contentious there because others are defending Paul and, and, and siding with him. And so there's conflict in Corinth between these different personalities, these different leaders, and people are taking sides. 
And we saw in chapter one, Paul won't let his ego get involved in this. He won't even side with the people who are siding with him. And here at the end of the letter, we find out that evidently a number of the Corinthians have actually requested in their letter to Paul that Paul send Apollos back to them. They want Apollos to be there to lead them and to teach them. They don't want Paul, some of them at least. Now, now if you were Paul, how would you feel about this? Would your ego get involved? Well, notice how Paul handles it. He says to them, I strongly urged Apollos to go to you. You see how Paul has totally put his ego aside here. He's checked it at the door. He said, fine, let Apollos go. Apollos, please go. Because it's not about me and whether they like my style or your style of ministry better. If they like yours better, then you go to them. If you can reach them. Now, clearly, Paul also has great trust in Apollos here. He knows Apollos wants no part of causing division. Paul and Apollos are on the same team. And so because Paul has checked his ego at the door, he can be free. He can be happy to have Apollos be the one who's popular. And if Apollos can reach the Corinthians better than Paul, Paul is all for Apollos going to them. So let me ask you, if you're going to cultivate healthy relationships in your life, how might you need to check your ego at the door? How does your ego get in the way? For me, one of the, the simplest ways is in my relationship with Anne in our marriage. Um, you see, before Anne and I got married, our pastor, her pastor, who did our premarital counseling, um, got to know us and said, you know, when I do your wedding and I give my little talk, I'm going to speak on humility. Uh, and that tells you everything you need to know right there. <laughs> you see, Ann and I are both firstborns, and we both know best. Um, and we're both pretty competitive. And Ann is so smart. She is, is one of the smartest people I know, except for when she disagrees with me. And so we can clash. And so to cultivate a healthy relationship, we've both had to, I've had to check my ego at the door and, and learn to listen and not need to always be right. And that's been good practice for being a pastor too. All right, moving on third, the next lesson we see from Paul about cultivating relationships. And that's to prioritize love. In verses 13 and 14, Paul gives the Corinthians a, a bunch of final exhortations. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. And then listen to how he ends these, verse 14, do everything in love. Do everything in love. This is a, just a reminder of what Paul has already elaborated on a couple chapters back in chapter 13. We spent two Sundays on it around the turn of the year. The love chapter where Paul had said, now I will show you the most excellent way. If you have the gift of prophecy and you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if you have faith that can move mountains, but you don't have love, you're nothing. I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, 
I gain nothing. Love is everything. Love is priority number one. Love is the job as we seek to do the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is a work of love. God's love for us, our love back to God, followed by our love for one another. And so if we as a church do everything well, if we knock it out of the park, if, if we're looked at as one of the best, most model churches in the whole country, but we don't learn to love each other, we've utterly failed, no matter what anyone else says. Because love is the job. We've got to get better at love. And love means as we saw when we looked at chapter 13, putting others before ourselves, seeking what's best for them, not what's best for us. Question, who in your life do you need God's help in order to love them better? All right, moving on, fourth lesson for cultivating relationships. Having a submissive attitude, verses 15 and 16. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. Paul urges the Corinthians to submit to people like the household of Stephanus. Now, who in the world is the household of Stephanus? Well, we know they live in Corinth. In fact, they were the first ones in Corinth, Corinth is in Achaia, um, to believe in Jesus. And beyond that, we only know a couple of other things about them. First, in verse 15, we learn that they have devoted themselves to the service of God's people, and they join in the work of God and labor at it. And second, verse 17, currently they've gone from Corinth to visit Paul, or at least Stephanus himself has. Listen, verses 17 and 18. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. So Stephanus has come to Paul, bringing encouragement, likely bringing a gift, maybe financial support, and Paul is refreshed. He's encouraged. And Paul says, people like this who aren't distracted by all the worries and cares of life and by getting ahead in life. People like this instead who are devoted to serving God and who work hard for God and who are generous and caring submit to people like that. Learn from them. Let them lead you because they will lead you where you need to go. Now, this is a hard one for New Yorkers to take. I mean, we're the kind of people who sing with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, right? Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. But, but here's the hard reality. If we're too proud and too self-assured to submit to anyone, then truth be told, we are probably not very good at submitting to Jesus either. We're probably going it alone. And so instead of being a church full of sheep, we're then a church full of cats. 
And as Jesus is trying to herd those cats, you know how that goes, right? If we can't follow anyone, truth is we can't follow Jesus either. And we're not going to be a healthy community because we can't work or get along together. So Paul says, if you're going to be a part of the work God is doing, if you're going to be a healthy community that's following Jesus, where Jesus is trying to lead you, then you can't always be in charge and you can't always have it your way. You've got to learn to have a submissive attitude and follow others. And who should you follow? People like Stephanus. People who are generous, who are giving, who give themselves fully to God's work. People who are following Jesus and are good examples. Do you know anyone like that? If so, submit to them. Let them lead you. Let them influence you, and you'll grow a lot. Then fifth lesson, if you want to cultivate strong relationships, encourage people. And when possible, do it in the presence of others. And when the people you want to encourage are not around, encourage them behind their back. Maybe you've heard the proverb, praise in public, correct in private. We see Paul end his letter doing this. Verse 17 and 18 again. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have multiplied or supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Because Paul has checked his ego at the door, he can lift up these other people. He can say publicly, in, in the case, this case in his letter, which is being read to all the Corinthians, here's what I appreciate about these other people. Here's what's great about them. Paul is, is grateful for these three men. And so he says so in, in his letter to all the Corinthians. He says, you should give people like this recognition too. I may have told you uh, this story before about what a couple uh, Christian friends and I did when we worked at a nonprofit in Washington, D.C. a number of years ago. We made a point to compliment our colleagues to brag about them to other staff and to our bosses. Sometimes when they were there and sometimes behind their back when they weren't there. Imagine you're at a meeting and the boss is there and the other staff start talking about what a great job you're doing. How do you feel? Awesome, right? And when we start doing this, it begins warming up, or, or when we started doing this in, in Washington, D.C., and I think this is generally the case, it started warming up the, the emotional temperature of the whole organization that we worked for. People felt grateful. They, uh, our respect for each other grew, and it was a, became a very fun place to work. And, and people look uh, at that when encouragement is happening in, in a community or a friend group or a church, and they think, wow, I want to be part of a group that treats each other like that. So who can you encourage today? And if possible, let, let other people hear it. Tell other people about it as well.
And then the sixth and final lesson that we can glean from Paul about how to cultivate relationships is that Paul takes time for social niceties. Paul, the intrepid, sometimes bullheaded apostle, the brilliant, big picture, uh, head in the clouds apostle, Paul takes time for social niceties, for etiquette, for manners. Look at how he ends his, his letter as we get toward the end, verses 19 and 20 in particular. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at the house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss, which was something they did back then. Now, they were Mediterranean, right? Um, now, now in, in, in Paul's culture, th these greetings, this was a normal way to end a letter. A polite way, a socially appropriate way to send greetings from those who were with you. And Paul takes time for this in his letter. After all the theology and all of the hard-hitting stuff in this letter, Paul takes time to send greetings as was the custom according to whoever the mismanners was of his day. You know, I can be a bit of a, a head-in-the-clouds person myself. And as a kid, I didn't have a lot of patience for, for learning things like how to write a thank you note with nice handwriting and, and who I had to wait for to pick up my fork before I could start eating my dessert. But, but my parents and my relatives, and especially the women in my life, they tried hard to teach me. They tried to school me in the social niceties because they knew something that I didn't realize at that time. And that is that those things matter. They make a difference. Maybe they're not huge, but when everyone does them, they sort of lubricate the gears of relationships. And they're kind of like the nice, attractive icing on the cake of relationships. It matters that Paul says to the Corinthians, hey, remember Priscilla and Aquila? They say hello. And so do the other churches in Asia. And, and I greet you too. In other words, you're not alone. You're not disconnected. There are others who know you and love you and are thinking about you and miss you and wish you all the best. And so it matters that Paul says this, maybe not a lot, but over time, when we all practice the social niceties like this, it has an impact on us as a community. It helps us um, bind us in some way to each other and makes us a people together. When we send a thank you note, when we send a card or give a visit when someone is in the hospital or, or we hear they're having a hard time in some way, when we see a friend and we say, send my love to your spouse, So, six things as we end. Remember, God is doing something big in the world. God is seeking people out like us and forming us into a new people, into God's family. And we can lean into that and help cultivate strong relationships, or we can ignore it and go it alone. The Apostle Paul made it a priority to cultivate relationships, and he expects us to do the same.
And so at the end of his letter, he shows us how he did it and how he wanted the Corinthians to do it. And some of these lessons include treating people better than they deserve, checking your ego at the door, prioritizing love, having a submissive attitude, encouraging people publicly, and practicing the social niceties. So with that, we're done with the letter of 1 Corinthians. But hopefully, it's not done with us. Hopefully, it continues to have its effect on us.